All right, everybody, thanks for being back with us this week. We are talking the TaylorMade Driving Relief event. Tony, I'm sorry, we have to talk a little bit of live golf. We're also uh, going to debut some new website features, and we're going to take an inside look at the graphite shaft survey. This is episode number 39 of No Putts Given. Let's get it. No Putts Given is powered by My Golf Spy, the most extensive reviews in golf. Before you buy, My Golf Spy. Nine million readers do it every year. Check us out. You need to welcome Let's go. Let's go. All right, so we've got everybody back this week Adam, Tony, Chris, Harry, and I'm Miranda. Guys, how's your week been? Pretty good? Been good. And wait, Tony, before you say anything, no, I didn't go to Best Buy and get headphone splitters, mostly because it was cold and rainy all week, and I mostly just didn't want to. You didn't get them because you just wanted Tony to bitch about something this week. Maybe. Yeah, now somebody's going to call me a douchebag again because <laughs> <laughs> Miranda can't be bothered to go pick up something. At the Send Harry. I mean, you know. It's working. Harry's busy at the test facility anyway. We got new testers coming back. We got yeah. mallet putter testing, so he can't be bothered with that. How's it been with having testers back in? Uh, good. They're it's good to see someone else apart from myself in this facility. And Matt, it's uh, it's fresh. Everyone's wearing masks, gloves. We've got like a little complete suit. You have a whole You make them come in in hazmat suits? No, that would be funny though. Are the guys excited to be back? Yeah, they're really excited. Purely to probably get out of the house and stop doing jobs around the house that they've been either wanting to be done for a long, long time or been told to do. Don't blame this on the wives. I'm not saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying they want to get jobs done and they've done the most of the jobs that they can do. So they want to get out and get golfing again. Good. Chris, do you have any luncheon meat today? Uh, <laughs> nope, but I did have a giant sandwich from... Uh, Jersey Mike's. Mike's. God, it's so good. And the giant, it's, yeah, it's basically three sandwiches in one. So that pretty much takes care of my early lunch and my late lunch. So I don't have to eat twice. Second lunch is the best meal of the day. Second lunch is one of my top four. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Good. Good. Adam, how about your house? How's, how's things going? Everything's good. Um, yeah. Okay. Same old. Moving on. Same old. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing new. Well, in my excitement last week um, about the Brady and Peyton Manning um, match, I forgot to mention that everybody should be paying attention to the TaylorMade uh, driving relief event this weekend. Harry, I know you watched. Did you guys take a glance at it? Tony, I'm not even going to ask. No, actually, I'd, I'd planned to watch. Just some stuff came up at home, so I was just kind of able to follow along in semi real time on Twitter. Okay. I guess is that was my viewing experience. Okay. What'd you guys think? Yeah, they carry they carried their own bags. Did they? They did, yeah. yeah it was just fun to watch golf. Even though it I was more intrigued about Seminole because I've never really seen it. I wanted to see what the hype was about and why so many people are there uh as members, but it was cool just to just to see the course and watch them make a couple of birdies here and there. I had a friend who's played that course a few times and he says it's completely different to what they played to when he played it and, and what it's normally like. It's normally firm and fast and the greens are rock hard and you can't stop them on the greens, but on that one they wanted to make birdies, I guess, so they softened it up for them. Was it strange to watch 
the guys carry their own bags. Who was it that forgot his at one point? Dustin Johnson. Who do you think? But that doesn't surprise me anyway. <laughs> who, yeah, who else would it be? Harry, we've been testing bags recently. What bags were the guys carrying? The new TaylorMade bags, which um, have been a new release, which they look they looked good on the website. I'm going to have to get them in for testing next week, next week, uh, next year, um, and see how they fare up against the uh, the pings of the worlds. Okay. And the cart bag, yep, cart bag mm-hmm. came out this week, right? Cart bag came out, and again, pings no surprise, top. pings on top again. But all of the top bags were the best versions of the pings. It had features all of, you know, ping pockets, placements, all the, the look of it looked like a ping. It was a very ping-esque. A repeat from the stand bag test, Yeah, basically. pretty much, yeah. But even more, even more so, like with the cart bags, there's so much more breadth to a bag, so you can start to see like the shaping of it uh, a lot more than a stand bag, I guess, when it's standing up in the cart. And man, when you go look at like that top ten list of the ba- cart bags, it just is—it's pretty much a direct replica, uh, shape-wise, of the pings, you know. Yeah, there's definitely kind of a a form that works that everybody is starting to to come around to. And, and like I said, you go back and you look at. You know, four or five years ago, the bags we were testing, it, it's crazy to think of a bag as, as this category that has evolved significantly. But yeah, wildly different stuff. Same purpose, obviously, but just kind of shaping and subtleties and things like that. Just tremendous improvements. Harry, what do you think during your time in testing that you've like named two categories you think have evolved the, the most in a couple of years? I know one. I know. I know exactly which one you're going to say. What's that? Shoes. Shoes. Shoes is one, yeah. Uh, shoes, shoes, and, shoes and cart bags, you think? I would say shoes and cart bags, but then my next one would be rangefinders. Yeah, like the hybrid. Hybrid, and now they're the putting GPS within the hybrids, uh, within the laser on the screen and on the side. Like it, it's, it's, yeah. it's evolving a lot, and a lot more features are coming out of the rangefinders too, like magnetic stick-on to the carts and... Um, but yeah, this this year's this shoes this year is one of the hardest tests I've ever performed purely because the standard was so high, and this is great for the consumer. At the, at the end of the day, the products are getting better. It's come a long way since when I, you know, was playing golf heavily. That every pair of shoes you bought, you had to break. It took almost a season to fully break them in. I mean, to truly break them in. And now these shoes nowadays that are coming out are they're comfortable. They're broken in. You know, you can pretty much have whatever you want, whether it's spiked or spikeless or less stability or more stability. So, man, there's a lot of options out there for golfers, pretty much anything you want in the shoe category. Did anyone do the old trick back in the day? I did it with soccer cleats once or twice before they came out with the kangaroo leather versions of everything where you wear them in the shower to try to break them in. No. I did that. No? Yeah. Yeah. I did that when I was playing. With soccer cleats, but... You're not golf shoes. Not golf shoes. Okay. Completely different. No. Soccer cleats, I would put them in in the bath and, and wear them down and then press on the backs of the heels to make them soft. I got a weird heel. They're very, they, they, they dig in and make holes in the actual heel of the shoe. Were there any tricks to break in golf shoes back in the day before they were? No, they're made out of wood pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was play a lot of golf in them and get a lot, hell of a lot of blisters. Really. That was the only yeah. way to do it. Well, moving back to the TaylorMade event, they raised $5.5 million for 
COVID relief. Mm -hmm. And I read somewhere that they had 2.3 million viewers, which was 16% higher than a similar event at this time last year, I believe. Well, hell of a a lot less options, you know? Right. I think they said it was pitted up against NASCAR. So, So guys, back to the TaylorMade event that played this past weekend. They raised $5.5 million for COVID relief, but on social media, there were plenty of people that weren't satisfied with the way that the event was conducted. Tony, do you want to give us a couple of examples? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's going to happen, right? That's sort of like uh, what social media is for, right? Is to give you a place to be unsatisfied. Right. <laughs> uh, some of the usual stuff, right? The golf, the the gaps between shots and, and, and the way those gaps were filled, right? So I guess the Bill Murray segment didn't go over well at all. It was a little awkward. Uh, bringing in President Trump was, I would suggest, not a really good idea for no other reason. Um, you know, there is a, a divisiveness right now. And you're going to, with that plus or minus, you're going to alienate 50% of your audience. And so that's, you know, just, just a bad idea in general, I would say. They give a lot of opportunities for memes, though. Right. Yeah. But I mean, no matter what you're talking about, if you're going to you're going to alienate 50 percent of your audience, it's, it's probably not a good idea to do that either. And then um, as as we hear and and to a degree, legitimately so. Right. There was some pushback from from people about the, the lack of gender diversity. Right. Why? Why weren't women included in, in this event? So and that some suggestion that they should have been, which is was the idea that there should have been a men's four and then a women's four it's hard i think what i would say is the the general consensus is they would have liked to see a woman involved somehow okay i mean out on the golf course playing maybe in the booth as well right any Mm. any way you can you can make that happen and look if we want to shoot a two-hour show we can we can go over all the ways that that golf trips over itself uh, when it comes to diversity, whether that's gender diversity, race diversity, economic diversity. Right? It, it's a sport which, when you really kind of take a step back and look at it, has has a generally piss poor record in that regard. I mean, you could you could turn a drinking game into you know, when you look at some of the photos that come from the PGA of America and kind of you know, the drinking game is PGA of America or the RNC, right? You really, you look at those photos and you, you don't know. It's it's a very kind of similar demographic. And so, yeah, the, there are some issues. Now, having said that, uh, keep in mind here, this, I know if you start making exceptions, you have to make them everywhere or it, it you sort of, it becomes an excuse to make them elsewhere. Uh, but this is a unique situation in that, one, this is a tailor-made event, right? So that immediately limits your field. This is going to feature tailor-made athletes, period. So that, that's your first rule. And so that, that's why you had the four that you did. And then the second rule is simply logistics and to a degree optics, right? Because this is, we are in the time of COVID and it, it doesn't make sense to to essentially transport athletes cross country or for wherever they're coming from to take part in this event. And so, and again, you, you can make a case that, well, TaylorMade should have more prominent female staffers. Okay, potentially legitimate argument there, but you know, right now it's, it's a literal handful of female staffers. As far as I could tell, the one athlete that TaylorMade has in Florida, Sierra Brooks, who is a rookie this year on the Symmetra Tour. So I, I, you can make the case, you could argue, well, you know, that that's what we have available. Let's go for it. But who do you bump when you want to get eyes on, on your product and raise money for 
for COVID relief. I, I don't know, do you bump Ricky, Matt Wolf, Dustin, Rory for a, an up-and-coming Symmetra player for, for the optics of having a woman involved versus your ultimate objective here, which is it's just to, yes, feature tailor-made products and tailor-made players and, and raise money for, for COVID relief. So it's dicey, but and like I said, in a, generally I agree that there's a tremendous diversity problem, but I don't think this is the spot to really make an issue out of it. As a woman in sports commentating, so a little bit of a different perspective, not on the athlete side, I, I think the easy solution would have been to have a female commentator. That being said, I am the first person to promote gender diversity, racial diversity in every sport across the board and everything. I think these unique times call for caution. And so I can understand why the athletes that were chosen were chosen and you don't want extra bodies out on the course. That I get to a certain extent, but I, I understand the frustration. Absolutely. Not just the extra bodies, but then, you know, what looked like a tailor-made stand bag ad on social media and things like that probably came very organic and authentically, you know, by the nature of this event, right? You're like, hey, we don't want to be touching a lot of caddies, grabbing clubs out there, you know, being close to the players. So they're going to have to go with bags. Oh, well, if they're going to have to go with bags, let's make them tailor-made bags and let's get it out to the media that they're going to be, oh my God, professional golfers are going to be using their own bags. People, they're going to be like walking with a bag, you know? And it was an opportunity. It was smart play by TaylorMade, I think, to do it. And it was an authentic play. And sometimes things like this, like you said, it's an odd time. And how they put this together, I think, was for good purposes, right? And for good reasons. And you, you're not always going to see things in a 360-degree view when you in a situation like this, right? Um, that all being said, I don't know what it was about this weekend. I think it's a culmination of a lot of different things. I think it's Harry Arnett leaving Callaway. I think it's uh, Chad Coleman as a social media person leaving Callaway. I think it's TaylorMade that was owned by a private equity firm, which generally doesn't spend money, is now making probably some money and able to invest more back in the brand and bringing on some talented people within TaylorMade. But uh, every once in a while you're hit in your gut with a feeling uh, when you're in an industry and have done something like this for as long as we have. And I don't know what it was, but TaylorMade was number one six, seven years ago, whatever it was. Callaway has dominated for years, but um, you know I'm going to go on record now. It might take a year for it to trickle down, but TaylorMade is going to be back on top. And uh, Callaway seems to be losing who they are to some degree out front from a visual perspective. Uh, and I think that goes comes down a lot to the people that they lost. People matter, right? And talented people matter. We say that every week, it feels like. Absolutely. And losing Harry Arnett and Chad Coleman matter more. That Those two people were two superpowers in golf, uh, meaning – you haven't seen another Harry Arnett in golf, and I haven't in a long time. And I, you know, sounds as stupid as it is, but social media has become a big player, right? When Tony and I first started doing this, he calls me one day and he goes, what what the f*** is a hashtag, you know? And he goes, I'm never doing a hashtag. Just so you know, I'm not writing a hashtag. And nowadays, Chad Coleman, he was he was the GOAT when it came to golf social media, and he's gone. And you can feel it, you can see it, and it just is what it is. And TaylorMade sees an opportunity, I think. 
And I think they're going to take back the crown pretty soon. And that crown doesn't necessarily mean how much do they sell. It's really, when you think of golf and you think of golf equipment, who's the leader? Who is who's running the show, right? And Callaway is right now, and I think Taylor May will be very soon. And here's a great example of that too, which is like, you think about the players you know that played in the event this weekend. How many people are sitting there right now going, you know what, I know that Ricky Fowler is not a tailor-made staffer. I know that he plays Cobra, you know, equipment, Puma, soft goods, et cetera. I mean, is, is there another company that's leveraged a ball glove deal and slid him in front of more cameras with tailor-made stuff on there than, than this situation? I mean, that's... It's a, it's a smart move, but... It's a good move. All these things are adding up, right? It's not one thing. It's not seven things. It's, it's lots and lots of things, and they keep stacking up, right? And... What that seems like something small, but when they start adding up, it means something. And when you look around at Callaway, their social media right now is really bad. Like it's, and that's, that's your presence. That's what you are out front, you know, and it doesn't look good right now. I, you know, it's, it's, I, I hate to just label it bad and go, it's bad. It's, it's typical of the golf equipment industry, which is bad, which is bad. Well, well, that's <laughs> a fact. Be that as it may, but my, my larger point being the it's it's sort of on par with everyone else. Whereas previously, when when it was Chad the Chad show and and strategically the Harry show, it it was elevated, very clearly elevated. That's a good point, Tony. It's not just plain; it's the same as everybody, right? And in this world, no different than anything else, you got to differentiate yourself, and they are not doing that right now on any fronts that I see, you know? So it's strokes gained would be 0.00. It used to be like a plus two or plus three, and now it's just strokes gained of nothing. Yeah, and I think I think it's notable. <laughs> it's hard to predict what's going to happen with the with the rest of the year and where pricing falls, but TaylorMade reclaimed the uh, the number one driver spot uh, retail. And didn't you predict that here on No Putts Given, I, Tony? I, I do did, recall. That, but I, I mean, I thought it was obvious again. Like when you, like Adam said, like when you've been in it long enough and you kind of just look at a product and see the trends and understand, right? Whether or not TaylorMade is number one or Callaway is number one, I mean, essentially it's already a coin toss. It's, it's almost invariably going to be one of those two anyway. So it's a, a it's 50-50 to begin with. Yeah, but it's a big deal, man. It's a big deal for TaylorMade to come back and grab that spot again. When you've lived in this world, in this space, to be able to overtake what Callaway had achieved for five or six years in a row, that's a big deal. So several years ago, uh, I, I wrote an article, and I, it's somewhere in the article, and I came to learn that this this one line rubbed people, some people inside TaylorMade the wrong way to a significant degree. But basically, I said TaylorMade has lost its mojo. I remember that. Right there was they had some magic, and it was gone, and now I feel like. There's definitely kind of a feeling that yeah, there's the mojo is coming back. It's not all the way back, and it may never be what it was, but yeah, it's trending up for sure. And back and to that word mojo, right? You go back to Callaway and go, you know, Callaway had their mojo when they had Harry and Chad. Period. And those two people are gone, and there's just no mojo left. You know, there's just nothing there. Is that hashtag no mojo? <laughs> Whatever you want to call it, it's just hashtag whatever you know <laughs> hashtag whatever <laughs> like I, I mean you just saw what 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 they've did for the last five six seven years was was really revolutionary in the golf equipment industry right we talk about the idea of a 
of a first modern golf company. That was kind of the positioning. And, and you know, over time, you came to realize and, and see what that really meant. Uh, now they're, they're sort of in a position where it's kind of, all right, where do we go from here? And how do we stay out front? And especially with kind of everything that, that's hit with COVID and Everybody's done some furloughing, but, but Callaway also had some significant layoffs as well. So the timing has very clearly hit Callaway harder than it has the rest of the industry. And the rest of the industry has been, pre- been hit pretty hard. Where do you come back to? How high do you come back? Uh, yeah, there's a lot of moving parts. So I think, I think it's going to be you know, trying to keep things steady and, and keep the pirate ship off the rocks for a little while, if you, if you will, <laughs> rather than kind of full speed ahead type of thing. All right, guys. Well, moving on, I was reading an article earlier today that, Tony, you authored, and it had to do with the graphite shaft survey that my golf spy put out, and more than 5,000 golfers responded to this. Adam, why do a survey like this with my golf spy? First, um, I want to say that these are the type of articles that I'm really proud to have on my golf spy, you know? they mean something. They stand for something. I think they can help change some things that I think need to be changed. Um, and what that is, is an education gap. You know, there's all this misinformation and mythology and confusion, really, when you just think about it around golf shafts and don't think that the golf shaft companies don't take advantage of this confusion whether it's made for shafts or exotic materials or whatever you, whatever is confusing you, it's confusing us as well. Tony and I have talked about this for almost 10 years on how do we solve this problem and how can we better educate consumers? And we've scratched our heads and came up with a lot of ideas, but at the end of the day, still haven't been able to crack that nut. And, um, that's one of the reasons for this survey. It's really, you know, we're here to educate and empower consumers. And we put this out there as an opportunity to figure out what you want to know more so that we can go out and try to solve that problem for you. And there's no better way to find out what the problem is than actually ask what the hell the problem is, right? So we had, we surveyed 5,000 plus golfers. And Tony, you can, you know, tell them what some of the most impactful results are from the survey, I guess. The part that's always the most interesting is, or, or to me, is when we get into that quick hit, what kind of the, the one word survey, right? Here, here's a word and, and what brand do you associate with it? Uh, so we did a small portion of that with the shafts. And what you always see is very clear, quickly, you see who the industry leaders are, right? So in the shaft industry, looking at the re- results, it's it's Fujikura, it's Mitsubishi, it's, it's Project X and, you know, graphite design to an extent, um, those would be kind of the ones that, that I would say popped and popped continuously in every question. And you kind of poke around and, and see, you know, whether it's, it's innovation or tour success or what we ask about, it kind of moves up and down a little bit, but, but those are the brands and then it, it's the smaller brands. And that's, you know, that just kind of separates the field, if you will. I thought it was interesting when we asked about the brand of shaft that you play a lot of people, and again, you know, exactly what you expect. The most popular brands are the ones that you find in the drivers that you that are on the racks every year, right? The, the guys that are in the, the stock lineups for the for the big golf companies. Uh, but what you quickly see when when you look at the answers to for for readers and, and survey takers who chose other is that golfers may not associate the the name of the product with the brand that 
that made it. So somebody will say, uh, will select other and say, I, I play a Diamana or a Tensei, none of the brands you listed. And I'm like, well, those, those are Mitsubishi shafts. Or I play a Speeder or, or a Ventus or something like that. And like, well, those are Fujikura products, right? So kind of the separation from the product, the product from the brand was kind of interesting. And I, I think that matters, right? If, you're, if your ultimate goal is to build some sort of, sort of following, some sort of brand loyalty, uh, clearly the shaft companies aren't, aren't doing a great job there. So that was one. Well, to me, and what it sounds like in that is that you kind of confirmed your theory that golfers are un- uneducated when it comes to the shafts that they're playing. It's a little bit of a black hole for sure. Uh, I thought another one, and I've mentioned this before, right? I'm a, I'm a huge believer that graphite shafts are the future. Harry, you play graphite shafts, right? Yeah, apart from my uh, putter. So that was another one to to sort of tackle why some of those guys who said they would never consider playing graphite shafts wouldn't like why why are you so opposed? And a lot of it is mythology and some of like, some of the stuff's real. Like basically, no play on tour. Well, I look to the tour, and if tour guys are aren't doing it, it's probably not for me. And I like the way steel feels. And we think some of that comes from the fact that most of your stock graphite irons are lightweight, whippy things. So there's there's definitely some of that. And then the big stuff is like the big one, right? Some of it was you know, that for for what would you like to see more of? Uh, the answers were stuff around or topics, articles, stories around shaft design, which we've done a little bit with with Shaft University. So we have some of that. And then the other big one is the difference between OEM or stock or what you find in everybody's lineup and aftermarket shafts. What are those real differences? And that one, I mean, that is that is sort of the third rail of the shaft industry, if you will. Like there are, there are really, the differences are real. They're appreciable and nobody wants to really delve in and, and really kind of tell the truth about what that is because while doing so, could potentially boost their aftermarket business, it would effectively put them out of the OEM business. And those guys need that business. Here's the thing. There is more advantage to the shaft companies having confusion from the consumer standpoint than there is clarity, right? If there's clarity, you probably aren't going to be able to charge a fortune for a shaft anymore. The consumer is going to realize some things that are going to probably limit your SKUs it might change the business and how you who you deal with, right? Because there's always this decision from a shaft company. OEM comes to you says, hey, there's a lot of tour players playing your shaft. We want your shaft in all of our clubs. This is a volume play for them, right? So they either go from being small or being big. But being big means you got to give up a lot of control of your company because if one vendor says, we don't want to deal with you anymore, you've put so many eggs in one basket that there's volatility to success in the shaft industry. So how they counterbalance that is, to some degree, these exotic plays and things where they can get these higher margins so that they can kind of almost have two businesses within one to diversify their bonds, as Wu-Tang always says, right? So it's a tough thing, right? Clarity limits your business opportunities, creates problems. Confusion creates opportunities. It, it, it's a tough. It's been a tough thing for us to go to shaft companies and go, hey, let's try to clear this up. Let's play the, do the education play. Not many of them are interested in that, you know? you know? Well, and isn't part of it, too, because, you know, there's a really short list of, you know, golf shaft companies that haven't played in some of these more dubious categories, right? I mean, all the industry leaders that we just mentioned, um, there's an article Tony that Tony and I worked on, was it two years ago? At least two or three, yeah. 
called you know we kind of called it the scrape and paint article and and there's a lot of people that you know were not thrilled about that we yeah but why but stop right there chris why why weren't they thrilled when that article published it was really accurate um <laughs> but what did it what did it create clarity for well, created clarity for the consumer around, you know, we look, we're looking specifically at that time. One of the big ones was the T800 shaft that was painted, I mean, identical to, uh, you know, the, the more expensive aftermarket shaft that was what the T1100. Um, and, you know, all of these companies have, have played both ends, right? And so they played the made for OEM. Hey, our product looks just like the one that's on tour, but it's actually not. And they've all played in the aftermarket. It's misleading, right? I I mean like the and you can every year there's sort of like one you, you feel like you watch it and go all right it, it's getting better right they're they're stop they're they're stopping this game of of intentionally causing confusion and and to this day everyone will say we're not we're not intentionally causing confusion and so you know I, I when I when I see the T800 I'm like but you painted it to look like the T1100. That that didn't happen by accident. That was a conscious choice. There's any number of color schemes you could have gone with, right? It that was a decision that was made to create a you know you could say perhaps draw parity with the aftermarket version. I say create confusion. And yeah, this year absolutely the Ventus and the TaylorMade, uh, man, yeah, where the only visible difference is that little VeloCore logo on on the tip of the shaft that that almost nobody would know to look for to be able to distinguish those two. So every year it happens. Right, every, every year. Chris, why, you know, we asked the question through uh, my tub spy. My um, tub spy, baby. <laughs> why do made for shafts exist? So capture the essence of why you think they exist. Yeah, I mean, it'll be really interesting to see how people comment on that as well. But I think it's a profit center, right? It's it's a means to an end, and and it provides a platform for shaft companies to do large volume, potentially low quality. That's one of the question marks: is just how different are some of these made for shafts from their aftermarket counterparts in terms of materials and construction? How different are they? But why do made for shafts exist? Um, in some sense, because the industry's been able to get away with them for a long time, um, that's probably one reason. And, and secondary reason, it's a cost perspective thing, right? It's, it is there. There is a necessity element to it for sure. Yeah, there. I mean, why why pay seven dollars for something you can pay six ninety five for, right? And and so, and if I can pay six ninety five for it, can I get it down to six eighty seven? And as companies look at different places to increase profit margins or to maintain certain profit margins, right? You can either sell it for more or pay less to make it. You either have to increase the you know profit margin that way or you have to decrease the cost of production. Um, and you say, well, where can we decrease cost of production? Well, in a volume-based industry like that, 10, 12, 15 cents here and there can become a really big deal. So Yeah, but shafts companies are not the only ones that are doing that to save money i mean it's it, golf balls they, they do the same thing they do it in materials and um drivers for instance they 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 if they have a batch of products that are good and they has performed well they might change the material slightly potentially and and then they've saved themselves millions of dollars if all the units go out there so the same thing is happening with not just golf shafts, but different products on the market well well the difference is right when we'll use titleist as an example like there's there's not a there's not sort of an OEM grade slash made for version of the Pro V1 that looks exactly like a Pro V1, right? I mean that is that is a product. It's it's priced what it's priced, and there's no 
you're not going to walk into a shop and think you're getting this when you're actually getting that, right? And yeah, so, I think that's the distinction, right? One is done to purposely mislead and confuse in order to make a higher margin. The other, I'm not sure, is the same. Look, and I think, I think too, we need to be you know, clear about this as much as, look, it's the shaft companies are ultimately the ones who, who provide the product to the OEM. So in one sense, they should be the ones that have the final say over what that paint job looks like. But I'm, I'm reasonably confident that, you know, Fujikura doesn't love it that the TaylorMade Ventus looks like the aftermarket one. And I'm sure Project X, I can't speak for certain here, but I'd be willing to bet they weren't entirely thrilled that the T800. Great point. So how does that, you know, for the reader out there, think about it, right? A big company comes to you like uh, whoever, Callaway, TaylorMade, whatever, and says, hey, we want that Ventus, right? In our drivers, right? On all the racks. But we don't want to pay a whole lot of money for it. And they go, okay, we know that game, right? And we want you to paint it up to look like the expensive one. As a shaft company, you're left with this dilemma. Man, we can sell a lot of shafts and make a lot of money if we do that. And if we don't, we risk maybe never being able to work with them again. And also, by the way, if we don't do it, guess what? Our competitor is definitely going to do it. That's the one because they know they see each other. I mean, you got three, four guys that all see each other at the same meetings. You know, like, hey, walking in the door, walking out the door, and I know if I don't take that deal at this one, when I walk out, I'm going to see the same two guys in the lobby that I'm going to see the next week at the next major OEM. And, and so, let's talk about what those cost differences are, you know, so that consumers and readers and listeners can understand. <laughs> Good luck. Let's talk about that, right? So when a big company comes and says, hey, we want to – get that shaft that's super popular, but we want a lot of them and we want it to be diluted a little bit, but painted up to look the exact same, but we only want to pay what, Tony? Yeah, well, a lot less, right? I mean, it's, again, it's, this is, this is, this is sort of the, the inherent problem or the, the challenges that shaft companies face. They, they exist in two worlds, right? You have this, this high volume, low margin business that you do with the, with the club companies. And then your low volume high margin aftermarket one that you do with club fitters and it's and it's it's tough to reconcile because at the end of the day you need x amount of money to keep your business going and so if you can sell a hundred shafts to make a dollar or a hundred dollars for example hey that works or if you can sell one shaft and make a hundred dollars that works and golf companies or shaft companies how much is does it cost to make a shaft like a good quality shaft. Let's let's be real. Well, how much is that? Yeah, the numbers I've heard for and again, right? It is kind of a, a very very broad stroke, but I've heard twenty bucks, and that's on the high end. Yeah, twelve to eighteen. And a not so quality shaft that looks exactly the same. Single digit dollars. Five to six. And maybe a little more. Maybe I, eight. I haven't checked in a while. Yeah, but it's. And again, it's it's one of those things where we go, oh my god, I'm getting ripped off because the shaft only cost X to make. But you, that that's sort of like the material cost and bringing it together. Like there is legitimate R and D that has costs, and you can't take that. You can't just pretend that doesn't exist. So I want to be make sure we're clear about that. But you're not marking it up by like three hundred percent though. Shafts can be like a three hundred and fifty bucks. Uh, an aftermarket shaft is for the manufacturer not necessarily the retailer but for the manufacturer i would wager the highest margin product in the golf world uh, yeah maybe maybe like a maybe a golf ball is comes close on you know once you start adding it up but maybe on a percentage basis but not on an absolute number basis i mean yeah and but again you 
because you you exist in that other world where you've got to sell a lot of them for cheap and you know to some degree they've been helped because there's there's fewer competition you essentially have three primarily three three companies that exist in that space and you can make a case aldo is trying to make a comeback um, but they are a mitsubishi company anyway and quite frankly if you look at where things went wrong with aldola in under the previous ownership and the previous incarnation it's basically the same story why we don't have matrix anymore it's just they got too involved in the oem game to the point where the entire lineup was was watered down to the point where the aftermarket shafts held no real value so that's that's your risk do you think mm-hmm. consumers know that shafts are probably the highest margin piece of equipment in golf? Are they aware? They do now. <laughs> After my, yeah. No, it's because you, you don't think about it, right? There's no, why should this cost $350? Well, you know, because part of it is there is a lot of R&D that goes into this thing. And there there is a materials cost that goes into this thing. And that, that all counts. That all matters. But also... It's priced here because we had to make a metric shit ton of them for almost no money to sell to the golf companies to put into the stuff you're actually going to buy. Because here's the reality, right? If you take a true aftermarket shaft, you take a real Ventus and you put that in a tailor-made sim, now the cost of that sim creeps up. And you're already looking at that going, depending on, you know, if you're buying the standard sim, that's a $550 driver. Now you're going to add to that cost. So it's the consumer plays a role. The interesting thing is too, like, from a marketing standpoint, you go, man, you're getting this tailor-made driver, which, you know, I've got to pay 500 bucks for, but I'm getting this $500 shaft in there. That was that thing that they used to play off, right? <laughs> right. So you go, uh-huh. man, this driver's basically free. You know, I got $1,000 worth of gear for 500 bucks. But really, that was the made-for thing. That was the, you know, painting it up, the misleading, the confusion part that they were playing into. And, you know, we're trying to highlight that some. It still exists to some degree. We don't love to see it. Uh, we understand the necessity of it right now, but it's still misleading consumers. And at the end of the day, that's just not right, you know? Yeah, it's kind of, if you go back, that we've seen some stuff with over the years. It doesn't happen as much now, but uh, you see like some special edition stuff. I remember trying to remember which tailor made model it was, but they paired it with an Oban. Hey, Sloney. They, uh, they paired it with an Obant Tour Limited, right? Like uh-huh. a legitimate aftermarket shaft in this limited edition driver. And, and it was like an $800 driver or something like that. And that's, that is the reality. Like that's, yeah. if you want the true aftermarket, especially if you want it in the first year, that's what the number looks like in the overwhelming majority of cases. Uh, you know, and, and again, it's... Every manufacturer does it a little bit differently. Project X, right, has handcrafted versus not handcrafted. Mitsubishi has Tensei Small versus batch. Tensei Pro. And you have Aldola who's willing to do a little bit of, of price cutting with an aftermarket shaft in an OEM lineup because they're they're trying to reestablish that brand. So there are different situations that come into play every year. But, yeah, just, just the fact that you are still seeing this kind of paint it to look like something it isn't stuff is, is frustrating. And I think that... That's ultimately why why golfers are really interested to better understand the difference between stock slash OEM grade and true aftermarket. Sony, what do you think of made for shafts? What is that? <laughs> that's a lot. What I, that's what a consumer say too. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Hey Chris, so remember yes, when sir. we went to a PGA show in was it twenty eighteen, and we went to that um, shaft company that said they were using all exotic um, materials to make this shaft. Um, 
and it was just blank black. It was it was twelve hundred dollars. Twelve hundred dollars for the shaft. Where are they and now? What was the name? <laughs> what was the name of that company? You know what? What image ama- uh, popped into my head was Imagine Dragons, but no, it's actually Seven, seven Dreamers. Dreamers. So, seven, seven Dreamers. dreamers. Yeah, that was it. Seven <laughs> Dreamers. And is that when we were dreaming, is what it sounds like. I think they were they were dreaming that we're gonna get. But then again, that was probably in the Japan market where if it doesn't cost yeah, an extortion amount of money, then they don't buy it. So that's probably why they haven't broke into America. And there aren't any Seven Dreamers in any stock lineup. So, nope, not right. gonna see it. Guys, to put a bow on this, the survey was an education for us. So we're learning more about what consumers know and what they don't know. What's the next step in educating the consumer? Is there going yeah, to be I think a follow-up? Yeah. First, you have to learn, right? And then you have to teach, right? And uh, we haven't learned everything there is to know before we go out and teach, I don't think, yet. We're trying some things. Uh, but more than anything, knowledge is power, right? And uh, seeing some of these things from a consumer's perspective going, now that you can see a graphic that gives you a representation of how other people feel, that's part of the learning process for a consumer. The others is things like this, learning about made for shafts. But ultimately, uh, it's going to be up to the companies and they're going to have to, un- they're, for a company to make, you know, try to make a difference in this, they're going to have to see value from sharing the knowledge and how that might turn into profits. And if they don't see that, what incentive do they have to really try to change, you know? Yeah, I think what's clear is consumers are, are you know, telling us very clearly that they don't know what they don't know. And there's also some very clear things that they're saying, I don't know. And so it's a matter, I think, of us two looking down and saying, okay, what are these key pieces of information? What could we answer in the short term? And are there pieces in there that we need to be more strategic around saying, okay, how can we best create, you know, like I said, knowledge is power. How can we best create information that consumers can access at any time? And they know that, okay, if I want answers on these type of things, here's where here's where I can go to find some of those answers. Um, those are not small questions and they're not small answers. They're, they're big, um, you know, big topics, but, um, you know, certainly gives us a, at least a roadmap of where, you know, where we might want to go with some of it. That was beautiful and profoundly put. I'm just going to hijack it. Uh, <laughs> the upside in all of this, right, one of the questions we asked was, were you fit for your driver? And 60% said yes. And obviously, we've, we've talked before that, that fitting means very different things. But if, you, if you're having a, a full-fledged fitting and you're working with a, a custom fitting place, and again, we, we keep going back to cool clubs and TXG and Torspec and Club Champion and guys like that, you know, it, it's going to, you're going to pay a premium for the aftermarket shaft, but there's no doubt that you're getting sort of the original design, if you will, nothing that has been altered to, to hit a price point. And so again, just to reemphasize, just, you know, if you, if you take the time to go get fit by somebody who has a wall of shafts and and knows, you know, what, what you're going to get out of all of them or any given one and how to use that to improve your game, you don't, you don't have to worry about this stuff. You don't have to worry about being tricked or, or deceived or, or otherwise kind of, manipulated into thinking that you're, you're getting something you're not, regardless of whether or not that something is right for you. The unfortunate reality is the closest place to myself to do that is a hundred miles away. So it right. is brutal. And we're not in a, we're not in a small area. Hampton roads is not, you know, middle of BFE, you know? Um, so not everybody has that luxury. 
That yeah. is that is true, and that's one thing, right? They, we always say, you know, go get fit, go get fit, and assume that that everybody Where? has that opportunity, and it's because we think, hey, you know, right around the corner, there's a guy, or at least there should be. But, but if you don't have the opportunity to do that, then potentially, if you do have an opportunity to have the Mizuno optimizer, which is one of the ones that is very few and far between that people have those. But even that's just a starting point. That's right? a starting that's, point, that's not but an it, answer. No, but it does help you to firstly get the start of the ball rolling instead of spending 300 bucks on a little bit of guidance, a little bit of guidance to give you the right topic for another day. But we, you know, topic for another day. Right. But we've been doing this a long time. Golf has been around for a long time. The fact that there aren't places to just get fit properly across the country tells you a lot about what you need to know. Um, it's not inherently the best thing to do for the golf industry. Probably if the golfers are best fit, you know, they're going to buy less products. They're going to be happier with what they own and they're not going to be looking other places for what's better. And they're going to be better educated, right? It doesn't work with a volume business. And again, right where we say, well, there should be fitters around every corner. But when we talk about, again, brand agnostic fitters who have basically heads from every manufacturer and shafts from every manufacturer, that is that is an expensive, expensive operation to get up and running off the ground. And so, yeah, I mean, you're mm-hmm. not, it's, it's not every, you, you can't just start one up in your town with, you know, just a few hundred dollars and a, and a retail lease, right? So, nope. Okay, I think we put a bow on this like a half an hour ago, so this is good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Tony, I want to hear about the new Vokey limited edition wedges. I know you've got Let me. Can I ask you a question, Tony? Like, why and who should give a damn about this Vokey wedge release? Solid question. Yeah. Uh, it's, <laughs> I mean, the same guy who buys a wedge. Like, it's like any <laughs> other piece of equipment, right? You need to, no, to consider seriously, whether like, or what not- is wedge works, right? Like, explain the difference and why anyone should give a damn because it's a limited edition wedge release. And why, if it was so great for your swing and so great for your score, wouldn't they just release it into a regular wedge? Well, so so typically, what a wedge work release, wedge works release is, is a a wedge, and when I say a wedge, I mean a a loft bounce and grind combination that is not in the standard Vokey lineup. So previously SM7, SM6, and now SM8. So it's a wedge you can't go and buy on the shelf. And again, with with the whole wedge works program, there's a, a huge customization angle. Uh, typically, as you said, they they are limited edition. This one's a little bit different. This K grind is different and Again, it's but let me. But but who cares about that? My question is, why is it not available on shelves if it's a better wedge for all golfers? Not a better wedge for all golfers. It's a different wedge that fits some golfers better, right? You know this, but I'm poking the bear because I know Tony loves wedges, but it is a I little do. ridiculous. So the standard Vokey lineup has 23 combinations of loft bounce and grind in it, and so what I'm told, look, this is it, this is the confusion. That a consumer hates. Like so, that's that's what you do, right? So yes. again, we're we're talking about William choices. Do I have do I have a wedge lineup that that has six options in it and fits this much of a population of golfers, or do I have twenty three now? This one, the K grind, would technically be the twenty fourth. And the SM do you lineup. think the person that actually needs the wedge works is buying the wedge works, or do you think the people that buy the wedge works are just people that like to have cool shit? Both to yes, or yes to both. Both to yes and yes to both. When are they coming out with a full alphabet of grinds and bounces? No, they're getting there. But Yeah, if we're at K, does that mean we're at like 11? Yeah, no. They just (laughs) take it wherever they want. Let's look at this wedge specifically. K 
K-Grind is a wide sole, typically high bounce. So when you hear wide sole, high bounce, that means that usually is for a guy who gets classified as a digger, which means he has a steep angle of attack. And already, right, this is this is a challenge in wedge fitting because nobody understands that. They just walk into a shop and go, well, this one looks cool, right? But that's, so that's your standard K-Grind guy. Yeah, it's tough. Fitting wedges is tough. This one is a wide sole, still a wide sole, low bounce. So now you're talking, but the low bounce would typically say slider, right? The guy who comes in shallow, doesn't take a big dip at <laughs> that sort of thing, right? And again, this is the challenge in fitting wedges because you're looking at me and pretending like you don't know what the fuck I'm talking about when you know damn good and well, but... Why did they go to that wedge right there instead of going to a smart sole, huge plate at the bottom where they can get it out easy? So let, let me just ask you, first of all, that's the smart sole big fat wedge is designed for a guy who struggles coming out of bunkers and is ultimately or at least mostly a single use, single purpose wedge, right? There's one problem and I'm going to solve it. K grind, low bounce tour grind is used on tour by the best players in the world in hard, firm conditions and soft, fluffy bunkers, right? So, so why do the consumer need it? Well, if you play in, in firm conditions or you have a shallow swing or... That's what the wedge should say on the back, not K grind this. That I know, right? Like just all this stamping. <laughs> exactly. Some that's there's an idea in that right there. Somebody just stamp. What the fuck this is for? So golfers will actually know they buy a wedge. I know, and it's when you you can really get into the minutia of grinds. But I mean, you and this goes back to we had a talk with Bob Renegar years ago, right? Who who designs this multi bounce sole as a, a kind of way to get around all this stuff? He's like, look, this digger, this digger stuff, this this shallow, this uh, digger slider, slider digger. whatever driver you want to call it stuff. He's like, none of that shit matters because eventually you're going to have a shot and you better damn sure be able to hit it. Eventually you're going to have to be a digger, a slider, and a driver on a certain shot, right? The course doesn't care. Yeah, but here's the thing is the average golfer can't deliver, well, potentially don't, doesn't deliver the same way every time. That's exactly the point of the Renegar wedge, right? So why would you buy a wedge that is for sliders, right? Okay, yeah. great. You have a slider swing, but don't tell me there aren't times when you pull out your wedge that you don't need it to be a digger or a whatever the hell, right? Let's hack that crap down. <laughs> right? So the Renegar wedge, not only the wedge, but some of his theories and philosophies on wedge design and philosophies of testing period were some of the best we've ever heard, you know, but way off topic here. I have yeah. a, a new challenge that I want to institute on No Putts Given. What is the smallest thing that I can get Tony to go off on a genuine, like, rabbit hole rant on? I mean, this... wedge grind, I mean, see, so I would argue, I'd be like, a wedge grind is not a small thing. <laughs> it's massively important, and nobody pays attention to it, and it, Jesus, like man. It is. it is. like. So how many wedges do you have in your bag? Do you have 14 uh, wedges in your bag with all the different grinds? Then, but no, and, and that's part of it is understanding, right? Do I, uh -oh. do I just go, Got hey, him. I'm a high bounce guy and I'm going to go, I'm just going to buy a bunch of high bounce wedges or do you take the approach like, look, man, the course doesn't give a shit that, I, that I'm a wide sole high bounce guy. So do you fit the wedge to your swing or the wedge to the condition you play in? Vokey Tenant, right? One of the things Bob Vokey mm -hmm. has, has said for a long time is like your swing travels. Right. You are who you are and so... Man, you've got you've got to fit the wedge to you, but you also have to provide yourself with enough versatility to hit the sh the shot that the course gives you. So if all you've got is a bag full, and whether that's fourteen wedges, because you know you're 
insane, I guess. It would just be nice to have a Ginsu knife of wedges, right? Like, mm. Well, people have done that, though. That's Again, that's kind of like the Renegar philosophy, right? I'm going to give you this one grind, and it's, it's super versatile. That's what I'm trying to say. So why do you see more people not doing that? Why do you see more people specializing now, be honest, than doing that? I know. I, I think, look, man, it's it's a it's where do you pick your compromises, right? So it's I'm gonna I'm gonna have this this one wedge design, this one grind, this one sole that does a lot of different things, okay? Or I'm gonna carry three wedges with very different grinds that allow me to hit every shot on the golf course to the the fullest potential. But here's the thing. The average golfer doesn't know that, right? So Ooh. yeah, pro Ooh. so provide that only for the actual golfers that it actually provides value for. Well, and again, that's there are plenty of lineups like that. That's you know, Volky is a heavily, heavily tour leaning brand, number one on tour by plenty, and so that's that's where a lot of this stuff comes from. And look, the K grind is not going to be the best selling wedge in the lineup, but it is it's an option for a guy who looks at it and understands why it exists. I think go, that's where Wedgeworks comes in, right? It's like, where right, are these exactly. little places that don't fit everybody, but we could do it as a limited, whatever, what's the word? Special, Special edition. Small batch. But the biggest question is, how much How much does this actually cost? Is it a regular Vokey price? Or is it because it's special? Vokey Wedgeworks, people don't care. It's $30 more. $30, $30 more. more. And usually... Usually they're more expensive, but again, and I started to say this before I went off, but your typical Wedgeworks release is somewhat limited edition. Like they, they're only, you know, they will sell out given enough time. This one, the plan is to keep it available and make more as needed for the duration of the SM SM8 line. So this really is kind of more of an extension of the mainstream lineup than, than you would typically find. So for example, last year, the I, this time of year, it's, it's usually the Augusta Wedge. That's what you can call this, right? And there's always a story about, hey, the firm, fast conditions of Augusta require a, a low bounce, high lofted wedge so you can get it up in the air, land soft. For all you golfers that are gonna play Augusta right. out there. Exactly, right? But that that's always kind of the, the story that, that sort of begins the Wedge Works picture for the year, if you will. Um, and so last year we saw a 64 degree T grind, which is, you know, like who needs that thing? Like I'm, I love wedges and I'm like, yeah, no, that's, that's like, you're going to hurt somebody with that thing. Like you're just going <laughs> to, yeah. so I'm just going to go back to my question with retort. You don't need to answer it, but why and who should give a shit about this wedge? Tony, apparently. <laughs> Tony, Tony should care. And you know me, like it's funny. Like if we had this conversation, like with with about the lines and the, and the flowing curves of bumpers and on putters and and things like that, Adam would be the guy screaming because that's what he's passionate about. Like I, no, I love I, wedges. I've always loved wedges, and I think <laughs> like this is this is an area where there's a huge gap. Where like you said, sixty percent or so of our readers have been fit for their drivers. I would guarantee. I would I would bet that fully properly fit for wedges where you're you're digging into the what feels like the minutiae of a soul grind that fits your swing and 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 to an extent the course conditions you play that's a single digit number for a for a club that plays an integral role in scoring right a single digit percentage of golfers it's insane do you do you think that wedges need to be simplified and not made complicated so for instance you have 24 different grinds and bounces but I'll pick on Cleveland here. They've made it pretty simple. It's low, medium, or high. Who's your audience? Right, but the majority of those people are not going to be like, oh my God, 24 different bounces and grinds. Who gives a shit? 
No, the, the, and that's a, so that, that is kind of the difference between a Vokey line and a Cleveland line where that's not to say you can't be fit for a Cleveland line. Would you say there's a would you say it's a more discerning consumer for one and a less discerning consumer for the other? Uh, yeah, probably. Right. I mean, you can certainly right if if Cleveland can dial in somebody this much. Right. As soon as you have more and more grinds now, it's sort of if I were to ask Jeremy Stone who's the marketing director at Vokey, like if if fitting wedges were was a thing that was easily accessible and you could do at any retailer in the company a country and you didn't have any limitations on your SKUs, what does your wedge look up wedge lineup look up look like he's going to give me a bigger number than than what is now i would say 24 right and i think i think if you asked any manufacturer that same question say look everybody is 100 of golfers is going to get fit for a wedge how many bouncing grinds combinations do you have that number is, is way closer to 24 than it is to three for everybody I'm trying to play devil's advocate here, but why is the wedge different when it comes to people give a shit about the what the number is stamped on the on the bottom of their irons? If it's five iron, but it's actually a three iron, so why they don't really care about that as much as long as they're satisfied? So why why is it that all these grinds are making more people confused where it needs to be simplified? In a way. Well, that's. I would argue it doesn't need to be simplified. Simplification is the the result of of the realities of the market. Hey, let me let me tell you this, Harry. I've been fighting with Tony for ten years to simplify things. You're just not going to win that battle with him, you know. Yeah, uh, I was going. If he, yeah. I'm not surprised because <laughs> Adam's Adam's looking at this list of Oki wedges and going, you know, let can you, you Adam would be the guy going, can we cut this down to at least fifteen? And I'd be like, why can't I bump it up to forty? <laughs> that's just no, I, uh, I would be can we can we get it to three not 15 yeah but. and there's and that's again it's it's here's what's here's what's easy to understand and what's digestible well let me let me let me ask you a direct question what is the chances that consumers understand all the different options that titleist has right now let's just let's be no bullshitting around who understand so it's it's understanding no no yeah. no you have to give me a percentage <laughs> One, one hand worth, one hand worth that, that understand Exactly right. So here's my question, though. Let me interject with this question is, are the number of bounce grinds, et cetera, is that really for the consumer or is that for the fitter? Because I think about it more like Baskin Robbins. There. Right? So if I'm going to the ice cream shop, I want to go to the place that has 31 flavors, even though I know there's probably five, six, seven that are the top sellers, but, right? All right. Great question. Now, you play off of what Tony just said. What percentage of people get fit for wedges? Well, like I said, probably less than 10%. It feels like here's an opportunity to help well, people. Like, fit versus fit, right? What, is, what does that really mean? Well, like a real, legit, like somebody that knows the difference between a 6004L and a 60, in a, you know, an M grind and a K grind and an S grind and a T grind and a D grind and all Fair, these ones. Are, I love the D that's grind. That's, that's it's the one. high bounce player's wedge and it changed how I use my 60. But... Is that for the fitter or is that for the consumer? So, and it's it's the same discussion we had with the aftermarket shafts. The answer is the same, right? If all of this stuff, it's it's complicated for the average golfer. But if you go get fit, and that is exceedingly hard to do with a wedge where you really do need from a fitting perspective to be hitting off of grass and out of bunkers and doing 
tight lies, right? Hitting from a variety of scenarios. We talked about what a, what a full wedge test would look like. It is exceedingly difficult to get properly fit for wedges. Like if you, if there's a, if there are 10 places near you that, that do driver fittings, or, or as Adam said, you got to go a hundred miles for a, for a driver fitting. Chances are you got to go 300 for a wedge. Do fitting. you think That's, that part of what they created is part of the problem? Meaning do you think that all these different options are creating why so few number of people get fit? Meaning, is it part of the intimidation factor of why they're not getting it done? I, yeah, I, I don't know. I hope not. Because again, if if you're going to go get a fitter, go see a fitter. And again, saying like getting fit for wedges is hard. But if you're going to do that, if you're going to go work with a fitter and say, hey, man, fit me for the wedges that fit my swing, that are going to travel with my game. Look at Miranda. She loves when I get excited. She really I does. I do. I'm then sorry. You don't, you don't have to know anything about the grind. You don't have to care about the grind because the fitter is going to take care of that for you. But yeah, if you're going to walk into a golf shop. But here, but here's, that's not what I'm saying. Like, I know for a fact golfers are intimidated to get even fit for a driver. They don't like other people seeing their bad swings, right? So wedge swings, you know, people have ref- definitely work less on their wedge swing than their driver swing, right? You're asking for a shank for sure. From a driving range perspective. So let's let's take that scenario. But then where do you even go? Think about it right now. You think 100 miles is far? Tell me where you go to get a good wedge fitting that can take into consideration Short chips, the bunker, full shots, all the different things you're going to encounter and somebody that knows all the different swing types and how to relate that to yours and then fit you for one that actually performs better than the what you've already owned. Yeah, Vokey's, Vokey's place. How many of those are in the country, much less in your area? Yeah, I, I am fortunate that by reputation anyway, that my, my local Titleist rep is excellent. That's that's not brand agnostic by any stretch of the matter. Maybe you don't want Titleist. We know you're like Insta famous and like Twitter famous, and you got like people on speed dial in your Rolodex, you know, like right. known yeah, by it's... the first name. But how many how many people can go to that in the country? It's there. I I I think we know this right. Proper wedge fitting locations, few and far between. Like I'm looking at, I'm like, yeah, my local rep is here, and then. The next closest one is probably Titleist Manchester Lane Facility, which is plus or minus four hours away. Back to Chris's question. If all those options are built for the fitter and there aren't any fitters. That's why when you go into a retail shop, right, you don't you don't find all 23 options in a retail shop. You find the basics. You find roughly the same as you'd find for any other lineup, plus or minus. You know, sort of like, hey, these are the wheelhouse. These are the average guy grinds. That's the real cool part right so they create that's the compromise that's the compromise but if you're actually going to go get a fitting which we wish there were more there's a breadth of opportunities for you to expose yourself to right here's the one thing i hear from universally just about universally from anybody who's gone through a full wedge fitting like they will tell you that of all the fittings they've done right and i've been i've been fit for every club in the bag seven times except for a wedge which i've only gone through a full fitting once like that is the biggest difference maker in the game. All right, let's let's make a big Xbox on Tony's box right now. No putts given. Let's go around the room. Chris, how many people do you know in all your years of golf that have gone through a full-blown wedge fitting? Less than five. All right, Harry, how many How many of you? Five? Well, that is like, that is at least four higher than I thought you were going to say. I, I, know, I know zero people, including myself, that has been fit for wedges. I have not been fit for wedges. I just go off the knowledge that I have um, 
got off Tony and the people in the industry and try and go from there. I have not been fit. Yeah. And you're a professional golfer. Yeah. And that's the crazy thing. I'm going to tie this into our next discussion. Adam, where would Tony's enthusiasm for this conversation be on the hype meter? Not even as close as stay active last week, but really, <laughs> yeah, it's up It's up there. <laughs> Good question, Randa. So we've been working um, probably, I don't know, the last month and a half or so on some totally new things for my golf spy. Uh, there'll be new categories, you know, some some fun, cool new stuff that is not as data uh Craddock, as we call it. So Tony's not going to have any fun with it. No. no, I mean, look, man, I love the data stuff, but like a lot of what we do limits what we can talk about and what we can cover. And the fact of the matter is, you know, apart from sometimes not having a lot of fun because we're bogged down in the data, there are products that come out outside of like if we just finish a test on something, for example, like we can't go retest the entire field uh, and we can't also realistically pretend that a product doesn't exist so it's a way to cover more stuff and and yeah have a little fun experiment with a a free-flowing writing style we kind of say you know or as they say we kind of painted ourselves into a corner a little bit right like one-off reviews in a vacuum are almost worthless and we realized that years ago so we drew a line in the sand and said we're not doing that anymore we're going to do these year-to-year annual categorical tests head-to-head because that's the right way to do it Problem with that is you have products like the Kirkland Signature Putter that comes out that has a lot of hype around it. But guess what? We just finished this putter test that took us two months to, you know, to do, right? And we have testers having to come into the facility left and right. And also there are hundreds of products that come into our facility a year that no one ever gets to see, right? And the problem with that is if if we're not able to show them the likelihood of them able being able to see those products themselves, touch, feel, see those things are probably slim to zero. So how do we expose more consumers to more products in a way that, you know, I guess is different for most wanted and buyer's guide, but allows us to basically uh, keep consumers more up to speed with the daily changes in the industry. And we're going to have new sections on the website called Hype Meter. We're going to have one called We Tried It. Uh, we're going to have a few others. But Hype Meter, uh, the very first product to launch for Hype Meter will be the Kirkland uh, putter that there's been a lot of hype around. And um, so we're looking forward to that. I think all the writers are. And we're going to bring on hopefully some new writers to cover some of this stuff. Might even bring back some people, some names people remember like Dave Wolf and Dan Mann. And can we can we put the, vo- the Vokey K wedge on there? Well, <laughs> Tony can't you know. be involved. <laughs> <laughs> No, so we're excited. Uh, we've been working on it, like I said, for a while. Um, a couple new sections on the site, new look, new feel, new type of writing style, and uh, hopefully, you know, letting more consumers and readers know about more of the stuff that we get to touch, see, and test, and feel, right? And and have a That'd little fun. fun. Yeah, and have a little fun because are we allowed uh, to have fun? You're not. Yeah, well, I've been told. I've been told by all the people on on social media, you have to be this way. You have to be datacratic. That's all you can be. I want to have fun. I'm, I'm an idiot. <laughs> can confirm. <laughs> what does it say about the woman who married the idiot? Uh, well, she's an idiot too. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Speaking of idiots, uh, Chris, how was my tub spy? Now that's a lead-in. Actually, first, can you explain your shirt? Can I see that? Yeah. Oh, God. 
Yeah, this is Riff. This Bunch of baked potatoes. These are real. This is Riff Raff. This is Adam's favorite person. He's a modern, uh, modern day uh, Socrates. Okay. Um, he's a philosopher. <laughs> he, uh, if you want to talk about a truth teller, you want to see somebody that spins the truth. Go, uh, go, listen, go listen to yourself some riffraff. Um, a bunch of baked potatoes. <laughs> I'm just gonna put it out there. If I ever get to meet riffraff, I'm not like starstruck by anybody. I don't really care about meeting famous people, but I sure as hell would like to meet riffraff. I want to play a little one-on-one with riffraff. That would be like my dream come true. But uh, I, I don't know how that relates to my tub spy, but uh, yeah, you know, so we threw out a question, you know, just another way to kind of... Tangent after tangent this in, week. Uh, you know, involve some people and stuff, and the question this week was, uh, you know, kind of around if, if people had to, or if companies had to tell the truth, golf companies, what, uh, you know, what would you ask them? Um, you know, it's interesting to get people's responses. I, I did pick my top three, uh, okay, my top let's three hear questions right here. Uh, number one. Have you ever knowingly released a, a next generation product that you knew was not as good as the previous generation? <laughs> and that ooh, ooh is like <laughs> I love that question. Do you do you have any in mind, Chris? That you think <sighs> I'm gonna have to think about that one? For a I second. got one. I, can I raise it? jet speed? Ooh, underrated. So underrated. I don't even think anybody like jet speed came so fast they don't even, nobody even knows what it came after. I think I think like the Nike growing. Sasquatch I think would be one of the ones. I yeah. actually think they thought that was better when they released it. They thought they, they had something did. every time they came out with something, but you know, I'm sure they know there's times that there's a risk like hey, we're not totally sure how this is going to go and how the market's yeah. going to receive it and those are just products that bomb, right? And and everybody stubs their toe every now and again and and that kind of stuff happens, but like when you definitively know like hey, this is not as good as what we're replacing it, but the market expects something. Um, that's a fundamentally different situation. Taylor May was moving so fast back then. Remember when like RBZ and then RBZ2 came out and then Jet Speed and all these things, right? SLDR. I, I think they were just like, man, we got it. We have so much demand, right? Like we got to keep churning. And I think they churned out some weird, funky products. Like Jet Speed was pretty cool driver, but you could tell they rushed it. SLDR really rushed it to the point that they had to come up with a whole advertising campaign based on how they did rush Loft it. Up. Loft, Loft, Loft up. Loft up. But, yeah, I don't know. Because it was about as forgiving as a thimble, the, the SLDR, <laughs> I mean, at most. you know. Second question, we don't have to answer these, but these were just ones that, that came out. By the way, thank you for throwing those questions in there. If you have other ideas for a hashtag, Tony, hashtag my tub spy, you go ahead and throw, a, throw that out there. But a lot of people wanted to know how much does it actually cost to produce things? Um, whether it's a dozen balls or you know what we are typical on that a little today with the shaft. yeah what are yeah. typical markups at retail so when I buy that driver that's five hundred bucks what did the pro shop pay for it you know that that shirt that's seventy five dollars what did the pro shop pay for it you know people wanting to know some of those margins you know let's cover that really quickly because most golfers might not know this what is if a pro shop sells a five hundred dollar driver Tony what's generally the markup on that. Plus or minus thirty percent depends any given year model volume. Three hundred eighty to four hundred bucks. So a it's, retailer would have to pay three hundred fifty for it. They charge five hundred, make one hundred fifty bucks, right? Ballpark, yeah. What's the third one? The third one. Hold on, let me get back to my book. I wrote these down. <laughs> no, so one was about retail markup. The other one was oh, sorry, it was like three and a half. Three and a half. More math is where are the real opportunities for future development? Like in the next five ten years, where are we going to actually see? 
club company companies innovate where there's actual performance differences, not just marketing bullshit stuff, but where are there actual areas for development and processes, materials, whatever, that will actually make a difference for consumers? Any quick theories? Yeah, I think so right now when you get to the upper end of, of high MOI driver designs, right, you, you get into still a little bit of a risk of, of decreasing in ball speed and excessive dynamic loft and, and kind of all of that stuff. So I think, you know, if I were pushing to try and do something, I would create a, a more forgiving driver that, that sort of maintains launch and spin properties of a of a less forgiving driver. And that's, I mean, that's kind of where, where Cobra was going with the LTD and things like that is, is driving CG way down so you can go farther back without penalty. That was Actually, my basic answer was like, you know, mitigating these opportunity costs that are usually there. Cause they like said high, high MOI drivers tend to be right. Like you said, a little bit slower, maybe slightly less aerodynamic on the iron side. You know, are we actually ever going to get to a point where you can really have an iron that looks and feels like a muscle back, but really actually has kind of that player's distance type performance to it, but does not feel like a typical player's distance iron. I think those are a couple places. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's cosmetic really versus performance, right? Performs like something that already exists, looks like something else that already exists, but yeah, that's a, that's a thing. I mean, right? That's kind of where PXG came from, and that's that's where kind of that, like you said, the player's distance category. More grinds, probably more wedge grinds. Yeah, yeah. I think I think really, yeah. I think if we explored wedge grinds and got more people fit for their wedges, I think that's that's really <laughs> maybe the biggest opportunity. I'm only half joking when I say that, but yeah. <laughs> I don't think he's joking at all. I've got two. Um, I think as obviously our data skews. So our reader is a little bit more hardcore golfer, you know, golf gearhead. But as the number increases in people that get fit for a driver, there becomes a new opportunity. And it's not in coming up with a, you know, a brand new technology that goes 17 yards further. It's actually in fitting people similar to the philosophy of true golf fit, I guess, or some of these other driver companies that are starting to release drivers that are based on your swing, right? So as if you're going to actually have more people coming in and getting fit, you have more opportunities to optimize their swing for more distance and accuracy, right? Within that opportunity, the more options you have that fit different categories or buckets of types of swings, the more opportunities you have to give them more distance and more accuracy. Better performance. That's 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 why there are 23 wedges in the Voki lineup, by the way. Exactly but what you said. No just one gets fit for wedges. <laughs> 60% of people get fit for drivers. The math. Anyway, the second one would be probably based on the pandemic and the response of that, right? So there's an opportunity from this to actually change a business model to increase those fittings for, let's say, those home motor van fittings, PXG driving out to your place. There's going to be an opportunity. Like I said, this isn't technology-based in the, you know, you're driving somewhere, but there is an opportunity to change the messaging and how you deliver your product, like virtual fittings, web fittings, phone fittings, you know, coming to your golf course fittings. And I think there's a huge opportunity there for companies to help maximize performance of golfers. Chris, I have a question. Yeah. Would you ever consider doing a MyTubSpy live and answering live questions like on a Facebook <laughs> or Instagram live? Nobody wants that, Miranda. Sure. Wants that. Why not? 
Tony Tony has a Tony has a sense. Nobody wants it. Only ten thousand people watched it. You know that kind of stuff. Only but, that's that's pretty good uh, for. You got like thirty thousand when you combine all the different places to see you. Well, yeah. In your see, tub. Maybe I think what Tony's actually saying is he wants to do a live thing where I'm in my hot tub, he's in his hot tub, and we talk about wedge grinds. I, I will actually. Everyone will acknowledge that my tub spy, not necessarily in the incarnation it's in, was my idea. That is actually Ooh. true. That's. Chris was just the one brave enough to do it. <laughs> well, my idea was actually a my golf spy model applied to the hot tub industry, so <laughs> a totally different thing. Something got lost dude. in translation between that idea. Yeah. The best comment I saw was somebody we posted my tub spy, and I saw somebody said, "Is it true that you know when people come to you with ideas when they want to be hired that you just take them and steal them?" And this was on the my that. tub spy thing, and I said. Are you telling me you applied to work for my company and you gave me an idea for my tub spy and we stole it? Because that is definitively why we did not hire you. That is a shitty idea. <laughs> That's the dumbest idea. No wonder we... Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, other than that, Chris, I heard um, that your kids might have caught you smoking some, you know, token up in the garage or something? Well, they, yeah, they thought I was. They thought I was smoking weed in the garage. And, and, and here's kind of what happened is... So, you know, we were doing this. I was smoking weed in the garage. (laughs) (laughs) So, so no, we did the CBD guide and we've done that. And so we've, you know, gotten some samples in and and stuff like that. We have? uh Uh-huh. Well, some of us have. And I was like, well, I want to try this one, whatever the case was. Because some of them taste like really, really hempy or really kind of like that CBD oil. Like Like you're eating like weed? Harry yes. says it tastes yes. like earth. Yes. Yeah, it tastes <laughs> like dirt, earth, whatever. So I got one uh, from this brand called Kanibi, um, and, uh, and what I liked about it was that they had – so they had different flavors. That's what I wanted. And this one was Skittles-flavored. I'm like, Skittles-flavored CBD. I got to try that, right? Was so, it a specific color? I need to know. Uh, I did not check hmm. what color it was. I don't think he, I don't think he looks at what goes in his That's mouth. True. He just <laughs> puts it in. No. And so like, I'm like, oh man, this is good. And the, my, my kids saw the bottle and it was like CBD, like, and I could overhear him talking to my wife and they're like, Hey, I, I think dad's doing marijuana. <laughs> you know? I was like, no, no, it's the CBD. Yeah. This is totally different. Hey, here's the best thing about that, Chris. <laughs> if your kids say, I think dad's doing marijuana, your kids are definitively not doing marijuana. They're not doing right. marijuana. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> With a little CBD tincture, you know, like, that's not how. You know. He's drinking the weed, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I got a question for you. That yeah. was a Skittles flavored CBD made by who? Kanibi. K-N-I-B. I'd like to buy right. an owl pet. Yeah, right, so Anna? if you could have any flavor CBD, Ooh. what would it be, Tony? Oh, maybe steak. <laughs> <laughs> I told you. Ew. Steak. All right, All right uh, Harry, what do you think? Peaches? <laughs> that's, t- that's tough. I have so many different flavors I would love. A nice, a nice supple peach. You like chocolate. <laughs> yeah. Anything chocolate. Cho- I don't roast dinner. An English roast dinner, that would be good. You guys are going like hot meals. That's weird. Yeah. What about you, Miranda? Um, Anything pasta. I do like pasta, but I don't think I could do like a liquid hot meal. So I'd go something like cherry. <laughs> I don't know. Cherry. I like cherry. Twizzler. Twizzlers. Ooh, Twizzlers. Good. Yeah. I'd be all right with that. I'm talking Swedish fish. I want Ooh. Swedish Ooh. fish flavored yes. CBD. Grape nerds. <laughs> can you eat like multiple Swedish fish? Because they're so sweet to me. I can do like three and that's about it. They're th- that is the limit. I can do about three packs. About three yeah. packs. Usually. Okay. Three five gallon bags. 
Exactly. That's what I want, though. I want Swedish fish flavored CBD. I want to know what Adam wants. Adam, yeah. what, flavor, what flavor do you I want? Like, I like weed flavor. Oh. <laughs> Adam wants extra dirt flavored. <laughs> I love the smell of weed. I love the taste of weed. I love weed. What can I say? <laughs> I love lamp. <laughs> I love lamp. Thanks, Brick. <laughs> All right, well, that's definitely one to uh, end the show on. <laughs> yeah, you guys tired today? We've been talking Yeah, we need to, to wrap this up. This while. is hour four going on. This is a good one. K-Grind Special Edition. Hey, K- Matt. Matt, are you still here with us? <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. He's here. <laughs> He's here. <laughs>